question for you this morning is, what would you consider for yourself your strength? What is your strength, your kind of superpower that God has given you? What's your sweet spot that you know when you're in that, that zone, you know you're going to be effective and you're going to do something pretty well? Um, believe it or not, I've got one or two, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. I have a couple of sweet spots too. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, here, here's the problem with that though. Um, when I, I have these places in my life, uh, just a couple of areas where I feel like I have um, some God-given uh, ability, uh, not many, but there's a couple. Um, and here's what I do with those. It's kind of dangerous because I begin to get under the impression that I can use those areas in my life where I feel like I have a little bit of strength over some of my weaknesses. And I feel like I can use those strengths to kind of will myself, force myself into being a better follower of Jesus. So I, I try to take the things that I'm good at or better at, and I try to use those strengths to the best of my ability to follow Jesus better. And that sounds like a great thing. Um, it can be. But here's what generally happens. I'm using my efforts, my talents, my abilities, regardless of how limited they may be. Whatever I do have, I'm using those. Um, and we can maybe summarize it, at least for me in my life, kind of my work ethic. And I'm using that to be a better Christian. And just in case you don't know what I mean, I'm really talking about kind of grabbing the steering wheel of my life. And I'm kind of like uh, white-knuckling the steering wheel. And I'm grabbing onto it really strong, and I'm trying to force my life to change and force my life to do some things so that I can make Jesus proud. And yet, since I'm being really honest with you here today, I don't know if I'm actually accomplishing that. I don't know if my life, when I'm white-knuckling my life, if I'm really doing any better. I, I, I don't feel like in those moments when I'm white knuckling my life that I'm any closer as I follow Jesus, even though I'm trying really, really hard. I don't feel like I'm doing any better. So that brings up a question for me. Is there any way at all of living this life that God has given me in a way that would help me live the Christian life better? Is there a way? So here's our question today. McKinley's going to put it on, on the screen. Is there a way of living that will actually draw us into a life that is orbiting around Jesus? What if there is a way of living that would actually help place Jesus at the center of everything in our lives? I mean, the center of bad things that happen, the center of good things that happen, the center of my family, the center of my work, the center of my hobbies and church, at the center of absolutely everything. What if that could happen? What if we as followers of Jesus got to the point in our lives where we could no longer escape that gravitational pull that Jesus has on our lives? Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about a list of you should do this and should not do that. It's not a list of shoulds like we talked about in January. And I'm also not talking about the list of shoulds that the Jewish 
uh, Israelites that they carried around with their Jewish religion. You know, they had about 613 laws. And beyond those 613 laws, though, uh, you may not know this, they had thousands of regulations about how to live those laws. So they had thousands and thousands of laws. It's pretty incredible. Some of those were written down later. Some of them were just oral tradition. That means they were taught father to son, rabbi to student. But man, that had to be exhausting. Who would be able to live like that? And I think about that and I say, man, I'm certainly glad I didn't grow up with that kind of religion. Or did I? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I may be wrong, but I think if you give us enough time, we could come up with a pretty good list for Christians, a list of laws Whether we say, here are the laws to be a Christian. But I bet we could come up with a pretty good list. It's going to involve things like you have to go to church this many times. You got to be, you got to do this many Bible studies on your own. You got to be in small groups. You got to serve better and more often. And every time someone asks, you got to stop cussing so much. In fact, what's the saying that we grew up with? Don't cuss, dip, or chew, or run with the girls that do, right? And so we've got that law. Then we've got this law of taking better care of my body. That one's out for sure. We've got don't have too much alcohol, don't have too much tobacco. And then there's all the laws about tithing. There's all the laws about having a morning quiet time, right? Mine's real quiet, right? And on and on and on. So maybe not 613, but we can come up with enough rules that would just wear us out. See, with this series, we are not talking about a checklist. We are not talking about 613 plus rules for living the Christian life or 613 ways to be a better follower of Jesus. No, 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 no. Today, in fact, I think you'll be glad about this. Today, we're talking about just simply one thing. We're talking about one thing that actually makes all the difference in the rest of everything else that we try to do. All that other stuff can be streamlined into this one thing. And that is good news because I believe it can make our lives easier. And in fact, as while I'm teaching this here today, Cole is in Malvern teaching the very same thing, that there is one thing. We worked really hard together putting this teaching together. We worked on it together. We always do, actually. So that we can bring this truth. And today we're boiling it down to one single thing, which I think that can be encouraging to you. And it revolves around simply getting closer to Jesus, living in the orbit of Jesus. We could use the phrase sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is our goal. That's what we hope to teach you today. Now, there's this guy named Luke. Luke, uh, in the first century, uh, this guy was a Greek physician, a Greek doctor, and he became a Christ follower, and he worked really hard at putting together a very clear, uh, accurate uh, 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 perspective on the life of Jesus, and he wrote it down in a book form, and we call it Luke, the Gospel of Luke. 
And he writes down everything that happened in the life of Jesus that he was able to get compiled and put together. And he tells us about this one instance and um, that happened during the ministry of Jesus, and that's what I want us to look at today. And Luke, in uh, very Luke fashion, he gives us several interesting details about this interaction. And here's how he starts it. It's uh, Luke 10, and I'm going to be in verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village. Now, we happen to know, because we know further down the road in other writings, where this village is. This village is actually the village of Bethany. And here's what Luke says about that, where Bethany, him, Emmon named Martha, welcomed him, that's Jesus and all of his followers, welcomed him into her home. Well, we're going to, in this account that Luke describes, we're going to get to know Martha and this family pretty well. Um, In fact, later in Scripture, we get to know them even better. But Luke gives us a great dynamic that happens in this family. I think we'll be able to relate to it. Verse 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. So I want you to picture this. Um, So here we have uh, this uh, this scenario um, where you've got Martha, who is probably working in the little kitchen area of this house, and she is preparing a meal, um, and she wants to be the proper hostess at this uh, event where she has invited Jesus and uh, his disciples to, to be with them. And so she wants it to be right. She wants it to be great, not just right. She wants it to be really, really good. And then we have her sister, who is not in the kitchen. She is with uh, Jesus, and probably there may be some other women. There may not be, but, but Mary certainly is there, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, this is what causes the controversy, and here's how Luke recorded it in verse 40. He says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Now, you've been there. I've been there. I I have seen that happen in my life. You've seen it happen in your life, right? We've been there. We have understood that. There are so many things we have to do. That's what Martha was probably feeling. So many things that she had to get done. You have had busy weeks too. It may have just been one. So many things to get done. And you're running around, as my mom would say, like a chicken with its head cut off. There are so many things to get done. The kids have to be fed. The kids have to get to practice. We've got to, uh, you may feel like the house is a wreck, that things are off the wheels. You know, you got so much to do. And then you think, have I even stopped to eat today? I don't know if I've even stopped. Who has the time to think about Jesus? I've got so much to do. This is so relatable to me. I understand where Martha, perhaps I do, where Martha is coming from. And here's something else. Martha is doing exactly what everyone expected her to do. She is doing what is expected. In this culture, Martha was doing and meeting the expectations that everybody had of her. She is taking care of the guest. And what a guest it is. I mean, Martha is working for Jesus in this moment, literally. I mean, let's be real here. Martha is not working for just anybody, not some random person. No, no, not for some nonprofit association. No, Martha is literally working for Jesus and not even in the term how we say, oh, I got to go work for Jesus. No, no, no. She is actually there with Jesus, serving him flesh in the flesh right there face to face. She is seeing him and Martha wants everything to be 
right and listen. Jesus is getting ready to recline at her table and eat her food. Wow. Everything she's doing is good. And everything she's doing, everybody else expected that she is doing exactly what she needs to be doing in that moment. All good things. What an opportunity to have Jesus in your house. I mean, we have to eat. And Martha wants it to be special. And Jesus is special. And as a matter of fact, this is Martha's specialty. She's really good at this. And maybe understandably, there is a problem. See, Martha is slaving away to serve Jesus. But Mary, well, not so much. Here's how it goes down. Martha, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her, please tell her to come and help me. She's saying, listen, Jesus, there is work to be done. Work to be done. Don't leave me hanging. Mary, come on. Please help. I need your help. And Jesus, she's saying, look over here. Jesus, look what I'm doing. I am working for you. Can't you see what I'm doing? And what I'm doing is important. And I have to be honest with you. Most certainly what she was doing was important. Here's what she's saying. I'm doing what I should. And Jesus, I think she should too. Man. This is kind of me. That's Harley in the first century. I can relate to what she's saying so much. I don't relate so much to what Mary's doing. I relate to what Martha's doing. See, I get so focused on the things I'm supposed to be focused harder. I got to do doing work for Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got to work harder. I got to do better. I got to get the job done. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. But I think maybe in all of that, I missed the point. And what is the point you ask? I am glad you asked. Here's the point. Jesus gives us the answer to this point. His response to Martha. Here's what he says. But the Lord, that's Jesus, said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these things. Now listen, as he says it, I really imagine and think that Jesus is being kind here, not condescending. He's being affectionate with his voice and kind. He sees her working so hard. He understands. He sees that she is furiously trying to get everything just right, and she's doing it for Jesus. And Jesus sees all these details that she's trying to get together and put together. He's not blind. He sees it. But here's what he says in verse 42. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. I'm going to give a shout out to my friends in the 90s here. One thing, if you've never seen City Slickers, go look at it. 
one thing. There's one thing. And Jesus says, there's just one thing. One thing worth being concerned about. He's saying, Martha, listen, let's keep first things first. All right? Let's keep first things first. And these things that you're doing, Martha, yes, they are important. But there's only one thing in this moment that is truly important, truly worth being concerned about, worth being worried about. And it is not working for Jesus. Oh, that's going to come, Martha. Yes, that's going to come. Working for Jesus. Oh, it's going to come. That's not a question. That's a part of it. That will be part of your life. But don't misunderstand me, Martha. The first thing, the first thing is working on getting closer to Jesus. Closer to Jesus. And Martha, here's what Jesus says to her. Mary has discovered it. Mary has discovered this important detail to be concerned about. Mary has understand, she has understood this and she has responded to it. And here's what Jesus says. She's discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Mary has discovered this thing. Mary is getting this right. She's getting this correct. Mary is on track. She's doing the right thing. I'm not going to stop her. Martha, at this moment, you're not getting it. Martha, you're not getting it, at least not yet. But I want you to get it. And Jesus knew that one day she would get it. To me, this is such a fascinating account in the life of Jesus. And we get it directly from the mouth of Jesus. I love that. And this is what Mary is getting, all right? This is what she's getting. And this is what Jesus wants Martha to get. But most importantly, I believe we have to ask this question. How can all of us, how can we get that as well? How do we become so fascinated by, so hungry for Jesus that we have this, uh, we experience this gravitational pull of our lives toward Jesus? And apparently in this exchange, we see that Mary had it. But guess what? Martha actually had it too. Martha was drawn to Jesus as well. But here's the point. Martha resisted that pull so that she could get things done for him. I'm going to say that one more time. I don't want you to miss this. Martha had that pull and she resisted that pull so that she could get more things done for Jesus. Martha was worried about the task, but Mary experienced that pull, and she did not resist in order for her to spend more time with was Martha was doing things for him. Mary was with him. One hightailed it to get her task completed for Jesus, her shoulds, and the other one simply hightailed it 
to Jesus. Listen, today's talk, (laughs) it is not complicated, and it's not going to be deep, deep, deep theologically. No surprise, right? Because it's me. What is at the center of following Jesus, it is this, and this is what it looks like. It is not a list of boxes to check. It is not a race to see who can do more for Jesus. Jesus simply offered Martha an invitation to break from her trying harder and trying to get better and do things better, to break from that and instead to channel all of her attention, all of her focus into knowing Jesus better, more deeply. That's what the invitation was. And when we make the choice to not simply do better and not simply work harder, not simply pray more earnestly or attend more religiously, which by the way, those are all good things, nothing wrong with those things. But what instead, if we were to make something else a priority, to be with Jesus, then our lives will enter into the gravitational pull of Jesus, drawing us closer and closer to him, where we become more and more like him, discovering daily more about him and who he has created us to be. See, the actions of Mary that actually to Martha, those appeared rude and they appeared unthinkable. It was simply Martha being unable to take her eyes off of and her ears away from Jesus. Mary was delighting in Jesus, and apparently that delighted Jesus. Today, if we were to fully understand what an orbiting life around Jesus looks like, Let's think about that for a moment. You know, we we understand today more what uh, orbit means. We understand how planets orbit the sun and how moons orbit the planets and how even on Earth we have not just a moon, but we have satellites or is. And this is a, we understand that. We get that. I think we understand what that picture is. And this is a wonderful illustration of what a life orbiting around Jesus might look like. And so let's talk about that for just a moment. Let's think about the physics of what it takes to orbit around something. I, I, I don't know if you know this, but when I was growing up, I always thought when you orbited around something, when something orbited the sun, it made, a, it made a circle around the sun. That's what I always thought about, that it was a circle around the sun. That's not what happens, actually. What actually happens when you orbit around something, there are moments when, uh, let's see, I'm going to borrow this stool. There are moments when, if I were orbiting around this stool, um, there are moments when I am closer to the stool, and as my orbit goes this way, I actually get a little further from the stool, and then something happens, and that gravitational force pulls me in, and it pulls me back in, and I'm once again a little closer to the stool, but then I come this way, and I'm a little bit further from the stool. So what that makes is not a circle, it makes an oval, like uh, uh, an ellipse, right? That's what it looks like. So there are moments in our lives where even if you're following Jesus really, really, really close, if your life is orbiting around him, there are moments when you are not as close to him. 
It happens for all of us. It is part of the orbiting life around Jesus. But something happens, and that gravitational pull pulls us back and swings us back around closer. And then we get to this side of the week or the year or the month, and we're a little, and something happens in that orbitation, that gravitational pull pulls us back around. So our lives do that as well. But here's the thing, that, that there's something in that that never changes, and, and that is that gravitational pull that if something, if a satellite is circling Earth, Earth has that constant gravitational pull. That doesn't go away. That doesn't change. That object that is orbiting around Earth is always going to be influenced by the gravitational pull of whatever it is orbiting. So think about that as our life. Same thing happens for our lives if we're orbiting around Jesus. Newton's first law um, of motion, it states this, that an object is going to, uh, that's in motion is going to stay in motion unless something causes it to, to alter its motion. If it's going to kind of uh, maybe push it further or pull it, it something's going to change its course or it's going to stay in motion. Um, so without the gravitational pull of Earth, if a satellite goes up to space, if the Earth did not have that gravitational pull, it would just completely sail deeper into space and never end. It would just keep going. It would just sail away. It takes something to alter that motion of that satellite. So would the satellite still be functioning? Well, I mean, it might be doing some things, but it's not going to do what they intended for it to do as it circled around the Earth. It might still have things going on, but it's not going to be doing what it was meant to do. It's just going to sail right on past. Because the Earth's gravitational pull actually is going to force that. uh, It's going to be kind of tugging at that satellite to keep that satellite in a proper orbit so it doesn't get away. It's going to kind of hang on to it. It's going to keep it there. Now, while that satellite is trying to absolutely do its best to get past the Earth, it's kind of like a tug of war. The gravitational pull of the Earth is not going to let it get past the Earth. And in our life with Jesus, that gravitational pull is so important for us to get our lives to the point where we are orbiting around Him. And once we're there, then it kind of has a hold on us. The the Earth's gravitational pull is going to win in the case of the satellite, which it creates this elliptical shape. It's a little closer, and then as it moves out, it gets further, but the Earth's pull pulls it back in, and it swings around again a little closer, and it goes out, pulls it back in. Now, the satellite has a part to play, too. The satellite has a constant state of forward momentum, a constant state. Because if the satellite were not moving forward, then the Earth's gravitational pull would just yank the satellite straight back to the Earth and it would burn up in the atmosphere. So that satellite has also momentum. It's doing something to stay in that orbit. So that's so important. There's a balanced relationship with the forward momentum of the satellite and then the gravitational pull of the Earth. The forward momentum sends it further out like it's going to escape. The gravitational force of the Earth grabs it and swings it back around. And then that momentum sends it out. The gravitational pull of the Earth swings it back around again, pulls it in, and that keeps going. It's balanced. 
That's what keeps it in a proper orbit. Otherwise, I already said, it would either shoot out into space if the gravitation wasn't there, if the gravity wasn't there, and then, uh, or it would pull it in if, the, if the, the forward momentum wasn't there of the satellite, it would just pull the satellite in and burn it up. So that forward momentum is known as the orbital velocity. You remove either one of those, either the gravitational force of the Earth or the orbital velocity, and it doesn't work. You can't get anything into orbit without those two things working together. And when the two things are in balance, that forward momentum of the thing orbiting the Earth and the gravitational pull of the Earth continues the cycle of that item orbiting around the Earth. And therefore, now you science. Uh, you know, today, see, it's not rocket surgery. I mean, brain science. Uh, you know what I mean. That's the way it works. And that's kind of the way it works with our life orbiting around Jesus. All of this to say, that's really what we want to help you do this year. is to create a lifestyle of forward momentum that will make this intimacy with Jesus possible. And so this is not a list of shoulds. You should do this and this and this and this. No, no, we're actually talking about just this one thing, some kind of everyday way of living our life, a lifestyle of one thing habits that could help you. Every day as you try to live that will help you achieve and maintain this life of orbiting around Jesus, an orbit where we will answer, as we talked about the past two weeks, the two most important questions that really matter in life. Who, does, who do you say that Jesus is, and who does Jesus say that you are? And that forward momentum, that momentum is necessary for us to orbit our lives around Jesus so that his gravitational pull continues to pull us closer to him. And it begins as we do what Mary did, as we hightail it to Jesus. Seems weird that as we begin a series called Slow Mo, <laughs> that we would say we have to start by hightailing it to Jesus. But that is what we're saying. We have to hightail it to Jesus, hightail it to the feet of Jesus. We're not talking about uh, things that we should do like Martha. Once we hightail it to Jesus, that's when we are then going to slow life down and sit at his feet. I don't know about you, but when I learned to ride a bike, I kind of taught myself. I didn't have anybody holding on to the bike uh, to help me balance it. And so I was trying to teach myself to ride a bike. I don't know what grade I was in, maybe first grade. Trying to teach myself how to ride a bike. And, you know, it's, you know, when you're on that flat surface and you're trying to get it going and you're trying to get up on it and get it balanced, it is so wobbly at first. It doesn't want to stay up. It wants to fall down. And then I discovered, if I could get a little forward momentum, and that's what usually a dad would do behind you, right? Or a mom, they'll get behind you and get you some balance and forward momentum and kind of push you off. Well, I didn't have that. So I, I began to figure out, though, if I would go to a hill, not a, not a massive hill, just, a, just a, a good incline, and I would get to the top and I would 
roll my bike down that hill, it, I would get that forward momentum. And once that forward momentum was going, it, the bike wanted to stay up. And it would stay up. That's how I learned to ride a bike. I had that forward momentum of moving down a hill. Now listen, as we began to figure out this life of orbiting around Jesus, I want you to know, I want you to be prepared. It's a little wobbly at first. You feel like this, this I don't know if this is going to work. I, this is uncomfortable. This is, I, I'm not sure about this following Jesus thing. I don't know. And it is wobbly at first. It is. But once you get some forward momentum and it takes some energy and it takes some time to get that forward momentum of following Jesus, it does take that. But all of a sudden, when you get that, it, you, your life will be less wobbly. I'm not saying that the road and everything's going to be smooth and easy. I'm just saying you're more comfortable in that path of following Jesus. You don't feel like you're about to lose it every 30 seconds. It's less wobbly. And that's the reality for us. If we will develop this first one thing habit of high telling it to Jesus, I mean, making our way to Jesus, to the feet of Jesus, as fast as we can, it is going to begin that forward momentum, that moving fast. Because before we can slow down, we've got to move fast and get to the feet of Jesus. But once you get going, your forward velocity and this way of living, a new lifestyle, it's going to become automatic. It's not going to be work. It's not going to be a list of shoulds and checking boxes to make sure you didn't miss anything. It's going to become a life where Simon Peter, like we talked about in January, says, Jesus, yeah, of course we're going to follow you. Where else would we go? Uh, What else would I do, Jesus? I am ruined for anything but you. And that's where that life goes. You know, when a satellite is going into space, it expends most of its energy to break through the atmosphere to make it to where it can get into orbit. But it takes a lot of energy, a lot of fuel to get to that point. And in our lives, it takes some effort and some energy to get to the place where where we're not wobbly with this orbiting around Jesus thing. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. But once we get there, our lives don't stop orbiting. That gravitational pull of Jesus is hanging on to us. Hanging on to us. But here's the bad news. You knew there were some, didn't you? The bad news is this. Us offering you tips, tricks, techniques, best practices, those are not going to solve the problems in this life. In fact, it will probably just add to it because it'll add guilt and shame because we're just that would just be adding a whole list of shoulds and checkboxes. And they will not result in a consistent forward momentum that is needed in order for us to be in balance. But here's the good news. If you recognize that's true, recognize it's true, then the door is open to us simply high-telling it to Jesus. This is our step number one.
toward intimacy with Jesus. Instead of trying harder to get better, instead of me knowing my strengths and me trying to white knuckle my problems in life and my approach, which I know doesn't work. And you probably know that too. You've probably tried it too. It doesn't work for long. It works for a little while, maybe, but not for long. Because like Martha, it's usually not our effort in our relationship with Jesus that's the problem. She had a lot of effort. That wasn't the problem. The problem is that Martha's effort was invested into the wrong thing. And they were good things, yes, but in that moment it was the wrong thing. If we invest our lives in trying to make a dead branch produce fruit. It's not going to work. Now, I have to apologize because I am completely switching metaphors here for just a moment. Now, this metaphor of a branch, we're going to talk about it extensively later this year. But just think with me for a moment. Just know that we cannot take our life, which is a dead branch, and we cannot force it to grow, no matter how, we, how hard we try, no matter how much we use our strengths, no matter how much we use what we're gifted at, we cannot white-knuckle a dead branch into growing. We can't do it. No matter how talented or how much ability we have, it won't happen. Because the branch has to be connected to the tree, as our life has to be orbiting around Jesus. It has to. The branch has to be connected. Our life has to orbit around Jesus. So, for our part, our part, if you're the branch, your part is simply one thing, one thing. Stay close. Stay connected. If we're talking about the orbiting, you're you're. you're Effort is one thing. Stay close to Jesus. Run to the feet of Jesus. It is not a to-do list. It, listen, living the Christian life of following Jesus, orbiting around him is not a to-do list. It's more like a playground. It's a lot of fun. Fruit just begins to happen. No longer are we working so hard and white-knuckling that any, any little sign of change and good things, trying to force it to happen in our lives. No, no, no. We just get close to Jesus and stay close to Jesus. And he is the one that begins to develop that. It becomes a playground, not a workhouse. That's what it means to orbit our lives around him. Graciously, happily, stuck in the gravitational pull of Jesus. Now, all of this, I want you to know we're landing this plane quick, and it's landing right now. All of this is what we said the last two weeks of last month. This life of orbiting around Jesus is a progression. It is a journey. The more we get to know the real Jesus, the more we fall in love with him. And then the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we want to follow him. And then the more we follow him, the more we become like him. Which means we truly become 
ourselves the self he created us to be. But first, before doing anything else for your life and my life, we've got to hightail it to Jesus. More work is not the answer. Not even more Jesus work. Martha discovered that. It's not a list of shoulds, and you better do this, and you better not do that. For this series, we want to encourage you to take one small step every single week. And this week, we want your first response in life to be to hightail it to Jesus. That's what we want, and that's what we want to encourage. Today's step, we ask, will you try this week one thing, to have a first response to hightail it to the feet of Jesus during the week? Change your first response to that. So before you head into a work day that's going to be stressful, Jesus first. Before you have that conversation that you're dreading, Jesus first. Before the start of this next day, Jesus first. Quickly go to the feet of Jesus and right there you're understanding this. Jesus, I need you right now. Maybe it looks like this. When you have a busy day ahead of you, maybe you're dreading it. Start your day with Jesus and maybe some of his words. Do that before jumping into your day, before jumping into your list of tasks for that day. When you're dreading tomorrow and maybe you have some anxiety about what's coming, about what you're going to face, maybe you're not sure what it's going to be, but there's just some anxiousness there and you're frustrated, you're not sure what to do. Maybe before you go to bed that night, before the next day, before you go to bed, maybe you need to hightail it to Jesus and to some of his words rather than worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and letting that build and letting that take over. Maybe you have a big decision that you need to make. Jesus first. I tell it to Jesus. Talk to Jesus about that decision first. When something goes right in your day, something was great. I mean, maybe you had a victory or maybe you had that next sale or you got a new client. Maybe something prob- a problem was solved. Something went really good. First, why don't you celebrate that with Jesus? And when you struggle during the day, when something goes wrong and something hurts, why don't you first struggle with Jesus? Take it to Jesus. When you are uncertain about what to do, Jesus first. When you're lonely, I tell it to Jesus. When someone has offended you and made you angry or hurt you, take it to Jesus when you're wounded, when you're depressed, take it to Jesus first. And when you're excited, when something good happens, take that to Jesus. When you feel tempted, I tell it to the feet of Jesus. We're just saying this, let Jesus be your first call. I tell it to Jesus. Sit at his feet. And next week, we're going to begin talking about what to do once you get to the feet of Jesus. And I hope you'll join us.
Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we will try to hightail it to you, to your feet, to your presence, no matter what's going on in our day. Because Jesus, the more we get to you, and the more we sit at your feet, the more we know you. And Jesus, the more we know you, the more we love you. And the more we love you, the more we want to follow you. And the more we follow you, the more you make us like you. Which ultimately is like ourselves. The way you created us to be. Jesus, would you help us this week to hightail it to you first in all things. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, we ask these things. Amen.